Hey, I'm Nancy Baum from WTSR. I'm here with Scotty Morris from Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. What's up today, Scotty? Nothing much. Same as yesterday and the day before with this great pandemic. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so we'll be chatting about the music um, you brought for World College Radio Day on October 2nd, 2020. So to begin um, about your first track is Dig a Dig a Do from Rattle Them Bones, uh, uh, which is the album um, published in 2012. So this song opens with an amazing sound with like horns and the piano coming together. And it's, it's a really fun song. So just in general, I guess, to begin with the origins of Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, um, how did you, and even before then, like in your musical career, how did you come across Swing? You know, to be honest with you, I think, I think I, I discovered it when I was really, really little by watching cartoons. Mm -hmm. And I mean, really in the beginning, because I used to be, I'm, I'm like of the age of TV was, it was like your best friend. There was no study about TV being corruptive to your brain or any of that. So when I was a little kid and we got a TV, I was obsessed with it. And I used to watch Tom and Jerry cartoons like crazy. And, and the music in those videos are so completely outrageous and so much fun and so wild that I sort of discovered it that way. And then my mom and dad's record collection, I think there was like a couple of like a Louis Armstrong's greatest hits and just like stuff like that. And I, I think it just was sort of very peripheral, but it was always sort of playing in my head, I think from the wildness of the cartoons, to be honest with you. Yeah, that makes sense. How did you, so you're the lead singer and you also play guitar for- I am, yes. I'm the founder. I, I basically started the band. I, I'm the songwriter and, and mm -hmm. basically uh, I've got six other partners that we've been together for quite a long time. That's amazing. And yeah. it all began in um, California in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. That, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. 91 is, I, I started the band in 91 and uh, got it really going in 93. Yeah, that's awesome. So with the, um, you were, um, Big Bad Voodoo Day is a, um, was a big leader in the swing revival. What was this like this time period with the, with the 90s, like and everything going on in music in that time? Why do you think hey, you it know, made that comeback? Go ahead and say that again. No, why do you, well, how do you think swing came back in the way it did? You know, I think what, what I noticed is, is I, I came from the punk rock scene. I came from the, from the I guess it would have been the second wave of punk rock because I think the first wave of punk rock would have been like the mid 70s to the to the like 8 to 1980 I guess is what some people say I don't know I'm from Southern California and I didn't see really anything until about 80 81 but um I was in the punk rock scene and and I just thought like DIY was just how you do it and, and I was really influenced by a lot of great bands from the punk rock era and I always wanted to do this thing I had heard in my head and and then and then I started Big Bad Voodoo Daddy after going to music school and whatnot and kind of realizing what I didn't want to sound like. And when I started, it was like there was all the punk rockers, all the old punk rockers, you know, the, the people that I had met in the early stages, they were all there. And it just seemed kind of like this really cool underground thing. And, and, and there were no other swing bands. It was kind of like a Americana music thing going on and a little bit of rockabilly, but there were no swing bands. And then all of a sudden, we started playing and then somebody would say in San Francisco, oh, you should go see St. Vitus Dance or in LA, people would say, oh, you should see Royal Crown Review or, you know, it just started to get like, there were like one band here, one band there. And it was, it was kind of interesting because 
there was nothing. There was no scene. There was no nothing. I don't, I, I just was doing something that I thought was fun. And then all of a sudden, sort of like just out there out of nowhere, there was, there was other bands that were kind of connecting on it as well. And, and it was really, it felt like something new and interesting was happening, kind of like it was for me when I discovered punk rock. It was, it was very interesting and, and really fun and it felt very free and there were no rules. And, and I, I love that about music and life in general. Yeah. At first, I wouldn't have thought that punk rock and swing would be related, but after you explained it like that, it makes sense. <laughs> totally. I mean, everybody was like dressed to the nines and it was, I know, it just kind of had this really, when it started off, it was, it was very cool and very underground. And we used to play this club in Hollywood called the Derby. And I mean, it was, it was unbelievable who would be in the crowd every, every Wednesday night we'd play and it would just be, I mean, we, we would only had independent records that there was no, there was no like industry buzz on us at all. It was just, we were gathering some pretty interesting crowds with some pretty interesting minds and it was pretty great, you know, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So when it comes to live performances, um, how would you, like, of course, like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy is, um, you do a lot of traveling and a lot of concerts. How is that translated right now with coronavirus? It hasn't. It's the first time in, in 27 years we've been off. Like we've never been off. I don't think we've ever been off more than a month, like in total, mm -hmm. in, in our entire career. We've never been off the road. We just, we've always had gigs. We've always loved to play. And it was one of those things where we, once we started playing early, early on, and then it was just something about this music. And it was something about the way people were responded to this band, mm -hmm. unlike anything I'd ever really done before, you know, that was it's such a positive thing. And so it's, it's been very, it's been very interesting because Corona has basically stopped everything that we were doing. Mm -hmm. And you sort of, you know, you, you have a, you have a good perspective on what's important to you and, you know, what do you want to fix and what do you want? Like, that's how I am. I immediately go to the positive and just be like, okay, well, if I have this time off, I'm going to fix all the things I don't like about, you know, the band that I couldn't do when I was, you know, knee deep in touring all the time. Mm -hmm. Have you all been uh, practicing together and like, no. being uh -oh. we did, we've done, we've done uh, three shows since the pandemic and it was all in our hometown and it was for a benefit for one of the, uh, it was a benefit for one of the theaters here in town that, that does, it's called the Rubicon and, and they do, it's a community theater. It's, it's basically, there's a ton of kids programs for kids to do acting and sort of, you know, discover themselves in the arts. Mm -hmm. And then they do, they do nice plays for adults as well. And it's a lot of, you know, it's, it's really cool. It's a great theater. And they asked us if we would do a, if we would do a benefit for them. So we did three nights at this big venue out at the fairgrounds where everybody was in their cars and everyone tuned into 88.9, some, uh, you know, undetained station and, the, the music was live and then they had giant video walls and we, we got out and played live. We played three shows, three nights. It was, it was insane. And that, that's the only time we got together and rehearsed right before that because it had been so long. We just decided we should, we should probably do something. Yeah, no, definitely. So you mentioned that um, you write most of the songs like with the band, how, but how in general do you coordinate um, creating music together and like the process of creating a new song and so forth. Yeah, the, um, there's, I think there's three parts. In the early days, I would write everything and I would just bring it into the band and I would just say, this is what you play, this is what you play, this is what you play. And, and then we would sort of develop it on the, on the live stage. And then we, as, as the band started to grow, 
um, like around 1996 or seven, I think it was 1997, Josh, Josh Levy, our pianist, joined the band and he had just graduated from USC with an orchestration degree. So then I could then bounce off all these ideas with Josh and Josh would then orchestrate them because that was his degree. That was his, he, that was one of his many fortes, but it was, it was one of his fortes. So then that's how we started to develop a much bigger, broader sound. And then once the, once that became part of the palette, the rest of the guys were like, you know, is there any way we can get involved as well? So then I would throw songs out to each guys, you know, saying like, you know, what, what do you want to bring to this? And, and then when somebody would bring something, you know, pretty in close to what I was hoping, you know, to accomplish with this, because I usually hear these songs finished in my head. Mm -hmm. um, then we would sort of, I'd give them to individuals and then they would work them out as well. And then, and that's kind of where we're at now with the songs I've written over the pandemic. Um, I've just given them, I've just been giving them the horn guy, horn guys. I've just given them parts and say, you know, what do you want to come up with? And let's, let's, you know, we have time. So let's, let's have fun. Let's just kind of create that way. Yeah. So for your next track, Pinstripe Suit, there's definitely, it's more narrative here, like with like the lyrics. So yeah. in your opinion, what are some essential qualities to swing music? Do you think the lyrics or like the rhythm, like do, do some take um, higher demand? You know, I think it just depends on, on where you're going to grab, because that's the amazing thing about this swing music is that because it's such an old music, because it's, it's, it's in its 80s, it's, it's got so many different like variations over the decades of how it was, because I mean, you would consider Frank Sinatra's music as swing music. You, there's, there's, that's all, it's swing music, but it was pop music at the time. But I mean, the lyrics were being written by some of the greatest songwriters and some of the greatest arrangers in the history. And so I think there's evolution of, of that. And with me, I wanted to write to my peers at that moment. So when I was writing Mr. Pinstripe Suit, that's a true story about a guy I met on our very first Big Bad Buddha Daddy's very first trip to, to New York. I met this guy and he was unbelievable. He was that character. And, and I wanted to sort of, I saw him walking down the street one day, we were driving in our van and we were going to, I just randomly in New York in, in Midtown, I saw him walking and I just wanted to score that moment in my mind about this guy and how he was. And in the middle of a day of a beautiful, like warm New York day, he was wearing a pinstripe suit and he was completely 100% living off the grid in the retro world. And I, I don't know, he just, he just fascinated me as an interesting character. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> How do you think um, swing music has translated to the 21st century? I know a lot of people are talking about, oh, we're in the 20s now, we can do swing. <laughs> uh, I wish, that's my favorite style. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if it has translated. I think that right now, because music is music is so convoluted in a great way, because I think it's great that everybody should have a, a fair crack at, at people hearing their music and whatnot. But I don't think anybody knows where to buckle down on any of the new stuff, because I'm not aware of anything as of right now. I'm not aware of anybody that's, anyone's done anything interesting or not interesting, but anything contemporary right now with, with swing music, other than just people are either really traditional or they want to sound like one of the bands from the 90s or they want to sound like the 40s. I haven't heard anything different other than like electro swing. And I think electro swing is great, but it's not, I'm not hearing like original compositions. I'm hearing looping and things like that, which I'm a huge fan of. I just don't, I haven't heard anything in a translation yet. And uh, I don't know, that's, 
I'm, I'm, I'm tossing with it right now on how I want to make records from now on. I think maybe I should just do songs and single songs and just put out tastes of music because people aren't listening to records anymore. They're listening to songs. Yeah. Yeah. Has that influenced your way of like, cause usually like creating an album, I feel like the art of an album itself, it's like some people don't even know the cover art to like their favorite songs. It's all right. about the single. Yeah. I know. And I see, that's the thing with, with me is that because I grew up on records, I grew up listening to records and I grew up on LPs and the biggest part of that would be buying the record, putting it on the turntable. And then for me, I would just lay on my bed or lay on the floor and I would open the LP up and I would just look at it and my imagination would explode. And I, I would just, I would fantasize about all these things. I would, you know, if it was a so-and-so or a so-and-so, I would look and I would see where they recorded it. Oh, they recorded this one in New York at Avalon Studios. And oh, and Joe Smith was the engineer and so-and-so was the producer. And, and, you know, they recorded from this day to this day. And I would just trip out on all of that. Who wrote the songs? And then there would be one picture of the band and you just, you'd have to be, you'd have to be, you know, use your imagination. I mean, I swear to God, when I, Led Zeppelin, when I was a little kid, was like the, the biggest band on the planet and they were like the greatest thing. And I never heard Jim, I never saw any other paid pictures of Jimmy Page or any of the other guys in the band. I never even heard what they sounded like talking until YouTube. <laughs> it was mysterious, you know what I mean? So like for me, it was the mystery of all that was always so, it was enchanting really, to be honest with you. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that artists have become a bit more like celebrity figures rather than known as their band like as a member of their music i, I think it's in, i think it's interpreted amongst the individual artists you know i think some are i think some very much are and that's and that's where they found their niche to get their art across and then i think others are you know more collaborative or it just works better for for those kinds of things mm -hmm. i know me i love to collaborate i'm a i'm a huge fan of collaborating i love I have a clear picture in my head, but then I also love somebody throwing a curveball at me and just be like, you know, instead of going, no, that's not what I heard in my head. I think to myself, like, you know what? That might be really cool. Let's try that. Mm -hmm. Especially in a band of seven people, I'd imagine it is, it, it's easy to collaborate. It just comes naturally. Yeah, it, it's, it's, well, yes and no, because, you know, yeah. it's like any, it's like a, it's like a really long relationship, you know, like, because we've been together for so long. It's like any real relationship. It's, mm -hmm. it's tricky. It could be tricky, you know, so you have to really yeah. man maneuver softly with everybody, myself included. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> How is that? Are, are there any rituals that Big Bad Voodoo has before a big show or like, um, I guess, exercises or whatnot? No, not really, because I think, you know, early on, early on, I would always look at everybody and, and give them a pep pop, like, tonight is better than last night. Like, that was always my saying, like, tonight, no matter what, is better than last night. But being that we've played over 3,000 shows together now, I, I'm pretty sure most of everything that comes out of my mouth before a, a, uh, a show to my band is pretty much like Charlie Brown. <laughs> You've heard it before too many times. So I think pretty much I'm, I think my effectiveness is, is in action only. <laughs> so 3,000 performances, that's, that's yeah. certainly a lot. How do you, um, what keeps you motivated and energized for each performance? The music, it, it's the music. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I mean, I, I know that I wrote the songs and I've chose the songs and 
and I've helped arrange the songs and whatnot, but it, there's something about these tunes. There's just something about this music that, you know, I think that there's something, there's something about them that, that it just, I guess I was just meant to play these songs or this band was meant to play these songs because it, it, it feels really good. And it's, it's very, it, it keeps, it keeps me alive. You know, it keeps, it keeps a fire in my belly. I want to, I, it makes me want to be better. It makes me want to get out there and, and, and play harder and, and better. Mm -hmm. Do you improvise during live performances? Constantly, yeah. This music is wide open. There are certain songs that are, there are certain songs that have really sort of rigid structures, but in every open part, every open section where there's a solo or anywhere for anyone to interpret it, it is completely wide open and the band has been together for so long. If somebody makes a left turn, there's no way that the band's going to leave them in the hang. It's they're, they're going to follow along real, real, real well. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. So during um, performances, do people, um, do you play a variety of venues where like some people do dance or just sit or is it a mixture? Yeah, it's a good mixture. It, it really is. And actually it's not a good mixture. It's actually, skewed more to theaters now it, it's become it's definitely more theater and outdoor events where people are sitting in large large venues or they were I, you know I, this is all pre pre what has happened now the obvious but yeah it was mostly theaters and and it's it's interesting because you know when it started to happen in the early 2000s 2001 2002 2003 in that sort of era um you know we were like 10 years old at that point and it, it felt like a really nice like transition to go from dance floors and clubs to theaters and amphitheaters during the summers and the and the nice parts of the year where the weather permits and it, it it sort of you start i started writing and i started arranging our sets to be one thing or another you know like if, if you're gonna have to sit there i'm not gonna pound you with a bunch of songs that are fun to dance to i'm gonna try and give you songs with some, you know, some meat on the bone and, and something that, you know, not only is it upbeat and, and fun and, and, and exciting, but there's, there's some actual real, real playing going on as well. So mm -hmm. it is definitely transitioned to that. Do you swing dance yourself? I was curious. I, I do. I do know how to swing dance. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> I don't so, do it too much, but I, I do know how to do it. Nice. Nice. <laughs> So to a warning though, I will do a karate move in the middle of it though. So oh. be, be warned. <laughs> That's a fun variation. <laughs> yeah. Elvis, Elvis paved the way. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so for the third song of the Jitters, this is yeah. an all instrumental track. What inspired what? this? Was it just to mix things up? You know, I, I love instrumental tracks. I love I love having I love having the band show off. I, I like love, you know, when the band hits ensemble parts and it's it's just firing on all cylinders. There's just nothing more powerful to me than that. You know, I used to think that heavy music was the most heaviest, you know, was the heaviest music that, you know, you could you could play like just because there, there was distortion and there was loudness. But I've 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 learned as I've been in music and my mind was more open that, you know, Mahler is just as heavy as is Slipknot, you know, I mean, yeah. Rachmaninoff, all this, you know, there's just so much, there's so much power in this, in, in music that, that you, it doesn't have to be a thing. So I think that the jitters is, is, is my, my most ambitious attempt to try and bring in the ferocity of what a horn band or just that dimension, like try to bring that into the, to the listeners, you know, imagination when they're listening to a record, I think is, 
is is the whole point of that. And, and it also, I wanted to kind of arrange this thing into sounding like a cartoon. Like it to me, it just sounded like Tom and Jerry music to me. And so I I really wanted to like emphasize what I was what I was hearing within the melody of that song. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing how cartoons can be so influential and just in classical music and jazz and like what they've really brought to the forefront. I know it's funny and I didn't realize it till I, I you know, I, I actually figured that like most of our, most of the cover songs that, that, that we did early, especially early on, they were all cartoon songs, you know, it's crazy. Minnie like the Moocher that. was a Betty, Minnie the Moocher was a Betty Boop song. Old Man of the Mountain was a Betty the Boop song. The Jungle Book song, I Want to Be Like You, is from the, the Jungle Book. Mm -hmm. um, Heat Miser is from A Year Without Santa Claus. I'm like, Jesus, what is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah, that's really cool, though. It's Latchkey Latch Kid, man. Here, here we come. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the Big Bad Voodoo Daddy played at the Super Bowl in 1999 for Super Bowl 33. So yeah. how was that experience? It was, it was, it was really, it was really a big experience. It was really big because as you know, we were just, we were just doing what we always did. Like we were just on the road. We were just playing, we were playing and our record was, was blowing up and, and, and it, it was just movement was, was wild. And the, the sort of events that we were getting to play and the sort of profile and the sort of articles that were being read about written about us during that time was was all just amazing and then we get a phone call saying we're going to play the super bowl and i just like that's great and i honestly didn't think it was really going to happen i just thought it was i thought we were playing it's because the year before we had played we had played a bunch of private parties for super bowl you know for the parties and the mm -hmm. things because the super bowl is a huge event leading up to it and it's like a whole week beforehand is there's all this madness going on and yeah, I, it was crazy. I was here. I was, you know, at the press conference with Gloria Estefan and Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder, by the way, got <laughs> to play with Stevie Wonder, right? And and I'm thinking to myself, like, I guess this is real. I mean, I guess this is really going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it was just, yeah, it was amazing. It was just, it was huge. You know, there, I don't think anything in your life can prepare you for that. Mm -hmm. So I just stayed open and uh, enjoyed every second of it. Yeah. Yeah, considering um, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy usually plays like more intimate concert halls, like how was it on the big field? It, a blur. <laughs> it, it was a blur. I mean, it was, you were so excited because you knew that like, I don't know what the number was. Somebody tell me like 2.5 billion people watched that halftime thing, you know? And it was like, because all of the world watches it and, you know, and it, I just, all I remember was, the countdown and then and then the the video screen says big bad voodoo daddy and then some guy points at you saying start your song i just remember a million flash bulbs just going off it was like even in that giant stadium it was just like flash bulbs everywhere and then you just go you just your your mind just is like okay let's do this wow. time to go no time to be nervous no time to think just go because <laughs> i think if i would have thought about how large of a moment that was I think it probably would have freaked me out. Yeah, yeah. Were there practices beforehand? Um, no, there was, we ran through it. We ran through it like one time. They just, they showed you how they were gonna, they showed you how you were going to uh, start. Oh, okay. So they said, okay, there's gonna be a video. And then when they say your name, there'll be a three, two, one, and then you go. And then this person down here is gonna give you the three, two, one, go. Mm -hmm. And then three, two, one, we went. <laughs> 
do you watch <laughs> the Super Bowl now and think like back then? Like, do you look at it differently? I don't even think about that we played the Super Bowl <laughs> until if I'm at a Super Bowl party or I'm throwing a Super Bowl, somebody is going to go, dude, what was that like? Come on. Because I don't really talk about it. You know, I'm not a big... I'm not a big fan of like looking backwards because I, I love yeah. living life in the present. So mm -hmm. I don't really look back and I don't really think about it. And then I, and I think about it like when somebody asked me the question and I'm like, well, to be honest with you, <laughs> it was pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I do watch the football. I, I love football. So I, I do watch it and I, I do, but I never think about it, you know, unless somebody asked me. Mm -hmm. Like my kids have never even asked me. They don't, they just, nah, dad, whatever. <laughs> So after the um, the night like the large '90s swing revival, how did um, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy like? I don't know. How did you guys like? Was it through performances that you still felt that there was a place and like an appreciation for swing? I think so. Yeah, and and you know, an interesting fact about about Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and about the Super Bowl and about just everything to do with what we are, because to me, it's an anomaly. And if you were to break it down. I would think that there's no rhyme or reason to how it how it really happened or how how it did what it did. We did not have a number one single. Brian Setzer had the the number one swing song. It wasn't us. Mm -hmm. We had Go Daddy O and You Me and the Ball Makes Three and Pinstripe Suit, but we didn't have a number one song. But we were really beloved by the people. Like it seemed like we were more like the people's band, opposed to the industry getting behind us because because of my punk rock beginnings, I didn't like the industry that much. I was very much like, we'll do it ourselves. We'll kind of, you know, we'll kind of maneuver this ourselves. Like we didn't hire an advertising company when we did the Super Bowl. We just, I just said, you know, let's just go do it. Let's not do too much PR on this. It, it is what it is. And then let's try and recoup. But I think what happened is we just kept doing what we kept, what we had always done. We just played for people that wanted to hear what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And we knew that when we played the Super Bowl, like we knew that that was the pinnacle. Like, okay, here's the pinnacle. But if we, when we fall, when you fall out of the grace, the graces of the media, you're not going to be a bar band anymore unless you act like a bar band, unless you don't take this thing and, and make the best of it. You know what I'm saying? So what we did is we just took the best, made it, made the best of it. We just, okay, so if we, if we're falling if we're not playing giant stadiums, that's fine. I never set out to play giant stadiums. Let's try and play great theaters and let's make the best of that. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, it was really one of those things where it was sort of pivot and maneuver, pivot and maneuver. And then just know you're going to take a, a couple on the chin real hard because people are going to try and, you know, they're going to try and bring you down and they can try and bring you down. But, you know, I think it's a testament of your, of your, of your character on how much, you know, you can, you can endure. If you really love what you're doing, you should be able to, you know, weather all storms, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. Especially like with, um, at WTSR with college radio, it's, yeah. we promote a lot of more of your independent bands that are just, they kind of do everything themselves. Like they produce, they write, they perform and publicize. And so it's, it's kind of neat to see like bands like, truly connect with their fans and like with the people um would you have any i guess advice or suggestions for some some of these bands i think the, the main thing is is really you know do it for the right reason obviously i mean when you write your music you know write something that you love don't don't write something that you think is going to get you 
is going to make you any money. Like I never wrote any music to, to make any money. Like I wasn't writing these songs to get into commercials. And, you know, I think, I think my songs have been used in over a, a hundred television shows, movies, movie trailers, commercials, it, it, you know, dancing with the stars to, you know, America's got talent the other night. I mean, I was somebody, I got like 50 texts from, from friends going, one of your tunes is on America's got talent. Somebody's tap dancing to it or somebody's dancing to it or somebody's, you know, chopping somebody's head off to, you know, one of your songs. And it, I don't know. I just think it's, I was just writing these tunes because it's what I wanted to hear. It's, it's something that I wanted. So I think writing music that means something to you and then find your audience and then take care of your audience. You know, that's, I think those are the two real big things, you know, make, just make sure you respect your audience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what are some upcoming projects that Big Bad Voodoo Daddy has in store? There's, there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. I mean, we have, I have probably two dozen songs that I've written. So once we can start getting back together, because California is real lockdown. Mm -hmm. real, it, we're still real hard. It's still real hard on us here. Mm -hmm. So um, we're still on the lockdown, so we're not able to get together yet. But to me, it's it's really, and I've spread out a few songs, but it, it would be hopefully just start getting our bearings back, start seeing what the new world looks like. Mm -hmm. um, what I think we're going to do is maybe, you know, do a couple of live videos, record them real well, and, and then just start promoting them online. And we have a Christmas tour that we're starting to talk about right now because we do we do a holiday tour mm -hmm. and the holiday tour is mostly canceled all the way across the board just due to obvious reasons but there are a few like I just had a few a meeting with a few people today that were we're going to be doing two or three performances and the capacity in the house have to be cut in half mm -hmm. and then so they're talking about doing live simulcast so it really is sort of again you know pivot and move mm -hmm. yeah and there's a lot of embracing new forms of technology too yeah yeah i think so too there's nothing like a horn band though you know like oh, yeah. there's nothing like seeing a horn band live like that was i hope that doesn't go away you know that, that yeah. would be a that would be a tricky pivot but you know no definitely. it's it's so much fun to see here a band that you know has been together for so long and they have a horn section and they, that horn section just digs down and you're just like holy cow that is nothing like it. Mm -hmm. There's like a, a lot of history with your band. It's like it's been around for a while. It's it's, 20, it's 27 years with all original members. That's it's crazy. It's a, it's a, like I said, it's an anomaly. I don't the more I try to think about the analytics of it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so you also um, you released your first two albums independently and then were picked up by Capitol Records, I believe. What was yeah. that? Like, like, how did you know self-publishing was the route you wanted to go? Well, I'd been playing music. I'd been playing music since I was really, really young. And, and I've always had, it was, for me, music was one of those things when you, it's all I did when I was a little kid. I, you know, I mean, I played sports and things like that too, but it, whenever I played music, always positive things would happen. And, and I started off touring when I was about 15 in punk rock bands, going across the country in a van promoting records and we would we would play these gigs we'd save our money we'd make a record we'd have a thousand pressed in these 45s and they were called eps and we would go out and we would just play all over the place and we would sell our eps for five dollars a piece and 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 i so i i kind of figured out early on then that 
you know, that's the way you do it. That's sort of, that always worked. Like we kept going and growing larger fans and bigger crowds. Every time we'd come back to a place that we had just played six months later, if they had bought the record, the place was twice as crowded as the last time. And, and really that's, that's, you know, that's sort of my, my mentality. And we signed with Capital because they gave me, they gave me a hundred percent control. They, they didn't, they didn't take any control. They, I had a, a way to get my, all my publishing and uh, I could produce the records. There was, there were producers on there, but they didn't suggest or do anything really. They just allowed me to do what I was doing. Yeah. Kind of got out of my way. Wow, that's really valuable. <laughs> yeah, it was super valuable. That's why we signed with a major. And then once that, once that deal kind of went away, we we're like, okay, let's go back to the, let's go back to our own label. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, uh, Scotty, for your time. This has been wonderful being able to- My pleasure. Beauty Daddy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Hey, this is Nancy. Thanks for listening in today at 91.3 FM WTSR. Remember to check out more content online at WTSR.org, on the air, or on our Spotify and Captivate channels. And as always, we remind you to open your mind.